poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome to the show, you Chasing Poker Greatness maniac you. Today's guest on CPG is one of the most prolific CPG guests of all time, and of course, one of my personal favorites, the always incredible Carlos Welch. And because I know Carlos is so great, today's show is a very special one indeed, because the man has recently claimed some brand spanking new hardware. He scooped up event number eight in the 2021 WSOP online poker series for 124K, and claimed his first WSOP gold bracelet. If you're new to Chasing Poker Greatness or somehow missed the earlier episodes with Carlos, which if you did, you'll be serving yourself very well by going back and checking them out after this, he's well known in the world of poker for being the dude who plays and coaches poker professionally while living out of his Prius. One of the things that makes me very much respect and envy about Carlos is his fearlessness in living life on exactly his terms. In 2011, an Australian hospice care worker named Bronnie Ware published a book called The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. Number one on that list is I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I can tell you with total confidence, Carlos will not have that regret. And because I love you so much, I spent like 20 minutes digging up this beautiful tweet from WaitButWhy.com founder Tim Urban, who said, quote, If you went back in time before your birth, you'd be terrified to do anything because you'd know that even the smallest nudges to the present can have major impacts on the future. Applied to today, this is a reminder that how you live each day really does matter because it changes your future. So if you're not yet living a life that's true to yourself, whatever that may mean to you, Today is an excellent day to get that ball rolling. Now, in today's conversation with Carlos Welch, you're going to learn the clever way Carlos structures his poker aspirations, all of his thoughts and feelings while reflecting on his WSOP score, the heart-melting plan Carlos has for spending his newly acquired prize money, and much, much more. Before you dive into today's episode with Carlos Welch, the show is sponsored by me, Coach Brad Wilson. In 2020, I was teetering on the verge of pulling the plug on the CPG project. I was working extremely exhausting 60-hour weeks and averaging a massive $6 an hour. Before I threw in the towel, I decided I was going to grip my teeth, face my largest inner fear, and throw every ounce of my being into creating the best poker courses I possibly could. If they were awful, you hated them, and everybody on social media made fun of me, so be it, at least I could say I went down swinging. As it turned out, creating those courses massively upgraded my own game, were so beloved by my villagers that I now have a list of 50 or so customers who instantly buy anything I offer, and are the reason why Chasing Poker Greatness is still going strong. So what makes my courses so different from everything else on the market? I sell plug-and-play winning poker strategies in very specific spots that anyone of any skill level can memorize and use. So if you'd like to both support what I do at CPG while also massively upgrading your poker game in specific spots, visit ChasingPokerGreatness.com courses. The spots covered at ChasingPokerGreatness.com courses so far are preflop strategy, c-betting versus fish on the flop turn and river in single raise pots, and obliterating the poor souls who donk bet into you on the flop, turn, or river. More spots are coming very soon, and the offerings will always be updated at ChasingPokerGreatness.com courses. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you friend, coach, trailblazer, and now champion, Carlos Welch. Carlos. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? Great, man. Happy to be here as always. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen your face in one of these. The podcast listener won't be able to see you, but for me. Yeah. Um, I want to say up until this point, I was always in some spot with shady internet. and uh, But I'm actually in a spot with decent internet now, so I can use the webcam. Yeah, you you ripped off your WSOP bracelet win. Now you're 
balling out of control at this eleven dollar room at the Rio. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, was, I was telling um one of my students yesterday, I th- I think it was one of my students that like outside of you know John and Coach Thomas, my tactical Tuesday co-host, I'm pretty sure you've been on chasing poker greatness more than anybody else. Like this is your fourth or fifth time. And it's just, it's always great having you on, man. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. That that tends to be my MO. I, I'm, I, I'm like a toe fungus. I come <laughs> and I don't, I don't leave. <laughs> yeah, you, for somebody that like is hit or miss on interacting with other humans, somehow like <laughs> we, we latch on to you. We're like, we need to bring Carlos back. I don't know if he loves us or not, but we need him. Right. (laughs) Well, we've had some news, you know, we've had some news. So let's just dive straight into the news and talk about, yeah, talk about what's been going on. So what's been going on is this. I was fortunate enough to win a WSOP bracelet um, um, in the event event eight crazy eights of the uh, World Series online. Um, on July 8th. So what was that? Like um, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool little, cool little um, piece of jewelry and it came with a little bit of gas money. How's it 100. feel, man? Like first, first episode on CPG, by the way, you're, you're quipped that you're chasing poker mediocrity. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's been some growth and change in the last couple of years. Definitely growth and change but i'm still going to continue to chase poker media mediocrity <laughs> i think um, you caught it like <laughs> you, you've caught it already man i won a tournament i've won tournaments before this just so happens to be a tournament that has some jury up top but uh it's no different um I, what i'm not gonna do is uh take that money and start firing off 10ks where you actually find poker greatness um only on ignition so, though right um <laughs> if they ever run 10 games i would definitely fire those for <laughs> sure yeah well how'd it go down give me the story like I, I so here's what happened for me i woke up oblivious to everything and saw that you had tweeted like you were one of eight for a bracelet and then i was like oh shit like I wonder how he did. And then I like saw the Twitch stream and like, you know, skipped three hours <laughs> right to the yeah. end. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's there. Like, <laughs> he sets up. He, he, he's going to take it down. Um, and I got to say, like, made my day. Like, that was fucking awesome news. I, <laughs> I, I was so pumped for you. People have been asking me, like, you know, details of the tournament and how it went. This it, is like all a blur. And what's so funny is I have the hand history and I've, Vaguely looked at it once or twice, but um, haven't gone in detail because, of course, um, we're going to use that to make some sort of um, poker training product. Um, hey, got to use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So from what I can remember, I know I was short coming into the final table. Oh, I, OK. I do remember the thought process going in. And this and this goes back to what we talked about with uh, 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 chasing me- mediocrity. So. I'm going deep in this bracelet event. First can of all, we, can, we, can I pause you for a moment? Because we, mm-hmm. we got time here, right? So yeah. like, let's talk about the lead up and like the slate you were playing, any expectations, you know, why were you in this event in the first place? Like, This is exactly um, the story I'm getting at because okay, you, okay. Were there, you were there uh, on the last episode when we had this conversation from, I was in a Super 8 in Barstow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the plan was to get a uh, diamond card so that um, I could come to the uh, World Series and I don't instead the Rio uh, for 11 bucks a night. But we um, I don't know if we got into this on that episode, but the reason I even wanted to play World Series events is because uh, I'm a poker coach now. Um, I'm, I'm selling poker training products. But a lot of people who are kind of newer to poker and honestly, even some older people to poker don't know me because I don't play live. And so if you go on my Hendon mob, 
like the last live result I had was like 2019. And that was, I, I maybe, I had like three caches that year, three or four caches. And like somebody was like, this guy's not a good coach. You know, <laughs> like three or four caches that year. In reality, I probably played six tournaments that year. Let's um, Let's dive into that because, you know, how big of a priority is, you know, growing your coaching business and growing that side of, you know, your revenue streams? Because it seems like making the conscious decision to play in these events means that it's a pretty high priority, right? It is the priority. It's the only priority. Um, and the, the thing I would say is um, I didn't get into poker to be the greatest poker player. Um, I got into poker because I grew up poor and this was a way to make money. And if I'm looking at this as a, a way of getting out of poverty, just, you know, banking tournaments isn't going to do it, you know, because if the, the money basically goes back into buy-ins, like it can keep you afloat, but unless I am one of the great, you know, poker players, which I'm not even close to it, eventually, you know, I'm going to be in a worse financial position I am in now if I just play because if I play against tougher competition in order to try to be great because everybody hits downswings. So I'm using this as an opportunity to A, provide some stability for my family and also to build a poker business. And uh, the great the, the, the main reason why I really want to do that is because I want to show people that you don't have to be an elite poker player in order to play this game for a living. I'm the poster boy of that. And so um, that's why I'm really big on the, the mediocre thing, because there's some other guy that sucks listening to us right now. And I want to show him that in 10 years, he can be a good uh, uh, he can play this game for a living the way. I have um, been able to do. Ah, so it's tactical. You're positioning yourself to your, <laughs> you're positioning yourself to your, I get it now. It, it, it makes sense to me. Um, yeah. I, it, it doesn't hurt either that like, you know, you're a substitute teacher, right? And I assume that like teaching probably resonates with you. It gives you some level of fulfillment as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually um, doing a bunch of interviews. Um, uh, after this um, bracelet event, so before we started talking today, I was working on an inter interview for uh, Poker News where the, the questions they sent me, I'm looking at this first question. I'm like, is this like a job application? <laughs> like, Tell us about your, your childhood, your, your education, your work history. <laughs> and so I've actually been going back and talking about how I got into teaching. So I was always a, a good math student. And so in high school, I tutored um, the football players. And I also tutored like the kids of family and friends in the neighborhood um, when they were like, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. And uh, just for fun, because I, I, I enjoy math. I'm, I'm like really, you know, a nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. And after high school, I started doing other things like um, First, I was a web designer. Um, then I started selling real estate um, as, you know, one of the ways that I've always heard was good to get out of poverty. But I started right during the uh, real estate bubble, <laughs> the, the crisis. So that didn't work out. So Perfect so now, timing. Yeah. So now I'm stuck without a job. And, um, and I have a degree in finance, um, but nobody would hire me because I didn't have experience. And the only way I could get experience, the only way I could get a job without experience using my degree was to be a math teacher because they were just desperate for anyone. And so um, I was like, well, I enjoyed tutoring in, in high school and I enjoyed tutoring the neighborhood kids. So uh, let me try being a teacher. And yeah, I fell in love with it. Like I, I love teaching. And at the end of the day, poker is just a math game. And so um, I'm kind of continuing to do the same thing if you look at it that way. Yeah, when you kind of like peel back the curtains and like are able to kind of look at the matrix of like what poker is like at its base root level, like it's just pure math. Like it's just a pure, everything is just pure math. And it's, it's hidden, it's hidden. And this is the thing that 
I didn't think about it until you just said that, but that's what would happen in school. Um, I would be teaching kids. If you, and we've talked about how you, you, I think I remember you saying you didn't enjoy uh, math in, in school. Hated it. Is that, yeah. well, well, I loved learning and I loved exploring, but I hated the methodology in which it was taught that I had to show my work and I couldn't figure things out on my own. That, that part I hated. I'm curious if this was the case for you, because this was like almost universal for my students. <laughs> I would give them a math question. It could be two plus two. Obviously, they know that's four. I can take that same math question and put it into like a seven sentence word problem, and they wouldn't even try. <laughs> really? It's like they, they, you know, because it because it looks intimidating. It's like, oh, the actual math in here is not that hard, but it's hidden by all this other stuff that like I'm trying to like, you know, see through the fog. And poker's the same way. It's like one of the things that I did as a teacher is like I took something that looked scary to the student and showed them how this is just something that they know how to do. Another good example of it that will resonate with you, that, that may resonate with you would be, okay, two plus two equals four. That's maybe you learned that what first grade i don't even remember <laughs> i hope i knew it before i went into school but <laughs> i don't know man uh i i have a i have a bad memory about like when someone says like i don't know if you show me a picture of a kid i can't tell the difference between like a seven-year-old and a four-year-old when like, people people talk about like you know when i was 11 or 12 i'm like you remember when you were 11 like i have no memory i, I it had to have happened but i yeah. have no idea what went on yeah but at some point in your life you learn two plus two equals four right and then and then the next year they try to confuse you by saying well not next year maybe a couple of years later they try to confuse you by saying six over three plus eight over four and that looks a lot scarier to the kids, but if I can just show them that this is the same thing as two plus two equals four, and then you start, once you get into like, you know, um, square roots, they can do the same thing. It's like, they're just hiding the simple stuff in more complicated, uh, more complicated um, um, structure. And so I just break the, the complicated thing down to the simple. And um, that made me successful as a math teacher. And I think, that also makes me successful as a poker coach. Well, it's all communication, right? And yes. like it's figuring out how to communicate effectively to the person that's trying to learn and teach them from like the paradigm that they're in and not the one that you want them to be in, not the one that you're in. It's understanding like how they think and then explaining things in a language that they understand. And that's really like the the trick or art to coaching, teaching. And that's how you become an effective communicator, really, an effective teacher. But yeah, it's, it sounds like, so I know that like in two episodes ago, I was like exhorting you to like double your prices, which I think you eventually did. Um, yes. these days I, I think your price is probably going to go up. I mean, you got some hardware now, even though it is one tournament, people value that tournament, uh, more than most other tournaments, right? Has business picked up these last couple of weeks or? Yes. I'm yeah. exhausted. <laughs> business has picked up. Uh, on top at the same this is the, the the funny thing about this experience business has picked up at the same time that interview requests have picked up and like beta testing poker products <laughs> requests has picked up all while i'm still playing tournaments <laughs> and then also trying to make time to go like you know share this experience with my family so like i'm getting like four or five hours of sleep a night you know trying to like fit all this stuff in um, so I was telling a friend that winning the bracelet is almost like getting an additional payout that comes in the form of like a lifetime dividend. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Those guys like, you know, the Esfandiaris and like Antonio's great. He's, he's world-class, amazing poker player. You win the right tournament at the right time when poker's booming on the WPT that changes your life. Like it just does the downstream revenue from that is just, you, you get opportunities that other people don't. It's worth, you know, you could honestly take $0 for first place <laughs> yeah, and it would make like a hundred times more than whatever, or 50 times more than whatever first place actually is. Um, 
And I do want to say, like, I'm very grateful for you taking the time to come on the show. That's the thing that I, I feel weird. Like, I, I feel like when, when I saw that you hit for the bracelet, I'm like, yeah, like, I want Carlos back on. But, like, he's going to be just overwhelmed with, like, interview requests. Like, it, I don't want to be annoying to you. You let know me, what I mean? Let me, let me stop you there. I'm overwhelmed with talking to people I don't know. <laughs> oh, I That's shouldn't fair. say that. No, people, people that I don't know, and people that I don't know of. Mm-hmm. There's some people that who've contacted me that even though we haven't had many conversations, I know of them, and maybe they've already known of me, or they just you know have recently heard of me, and I'm kind of like excited to talk to them. But then there's a lot of people who I don't know at all. They don't know me at all until now, and. I don't mind talking to them, but it is more draining um, in that because it's, it's less comfortable uh, with me being like an introverted person. And um, th- those are the ones that I have trouble fitting in when I rather talk to guys like you. Well, I just realized it just dawned on me that like, oh, yeah, I bet that's that's a struggle for you talking to these people that you don't know and like just a avalanche of people reaching out to you has that have you have you told anybody no yet like nah man i'm good oh i don't think i have and um my expectation is that this is gonna go like in my mind i've been saying two weeks but damn i guess it's been three weeks now (laughs) um so hopefully what okay so my new expectation is by the time the bracelet events end next week everybody will have forgotten about me and then i can go back to living my um, happy, um, um, lonely life. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I haven't turned anybody down yet, but if somehow I've been like two more bracelets and all of a sudden this becomes like a real story, I'm going to have to start turning people down. Yeah. You're going to need like a publicist, going to need like yeah. a, a gate <laughs> gatekeeper, um, for your time. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I think that like, it's in your best interest to strike while the iron's hot and like, I think people generally have a pretty short memory. And so like in a few months, you'll be, you'll be totally fine living your dream in your car, secluded from everybody. Yeah. Um, It's like, the funny thing is if you get second in the tournament, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. (laughs) If you get first in the tournament, everybody cares until, you know, the next series. Like I couldn't tell you who won the crazy eights last year. So this isn't like winning the main event where it's going to be like, you know, CNBC talking to you. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because uh, right before you came on, I was talking to Justin Saliba and one of my one of my good friends like got third in the event that he won. And like, <laughs> I only realized it when I looked at the leaderboard and saw like, oh, Jesse's third. Like <laughs> I didn't reach out to him. I didn't say congrats. Like <laughs> didn't even know about it, right? Like nobody knows who gets third or second. Yeah, it's just like, hey, you're just the first loser. <laughs> <laughs> but but before, let, let me go back to something that I um, left off on earlier. So we were talking about how uh, on the last episode, I was in Barstow staying at the Wyndham Hotels to get the uh, diamond card. And the reason I was even interested in playing WSOP events was to like build up that public profile um, to like, you know, help sell more coaching products because my current experience in poker over the last five years or so has been online, primarily on ignition. So although I've done well, you know, there's nowhere for someone to look for that online when they're considering me as a poker coach. So I was like, I noticed that the online events, the WSOP bracelet events are the only online events that I've seen that actually get reported to Hindemob. So I was like, oh, since I'm not gonna be playing live, this is a cool way to like get some Hindemob cash just so that people know that, you know, I know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) And so um, my plan was to get a bunch of caches and maybe a deep run and possibly a final table and take ninth. Uh, wasn't thinking about a bracelet, even deep into that tournament to get back to your question, like how the tournament went. I definitely made purposely make some um, mistakes towards the end because I was playing to make the final table as opposed to playing to win. And that is something that 
um, this is like the, you know, mediocre poker player thing is I think that's important for those of us who aren't chasing poker greatness is you want these milestones. So the way I always tell people is when I first started playing live tournaments, my goal was to like bag that. Well, no, first it was like lunch, the dinner break. <laughs> It's like, oh, I've never made a dinner break. Like making a dinner break, especially there's some tournaments, there's some tournaments where you get like a uh, $10 off dinner uh, coupon if you make the break. And I remember the first time I got one of those, it was like a bracelet. I was like <laughs> holding it up. I was like, yeah, I got the $10 coupon. Yes, I finally, I finally did it. Any interview, <laughs> any interview requests for that accomplishment? <laughs> no, it, only Andrew, only Andrew was willing to talk to me <laughs> after that. And so I, for, I made my first dinner break, got my first $10 dinner coupon. And then, you know, once I was been there, done that, you know, it was time to reach for the next milestone, which was making day two. And bagging, you know, it, to this day, people still have this fascination with, oh, I bagged, I bagged. But once I done, once I did that, you know, it was now time to like, you know, actually try to cash. This was back when bagging didn't mean cashing. Now I think a lot of days now, if you make day two, you get into the money. But so I, I'm going through these milestones. The first time I played the main event in 2015, wasn't planning to win. I was planning to cash. Once I cashed it, the next year I was planning to win, and I took a um, a correct but uh, very uh, not not high variance, but I took a correct line against uh, Maria Ho um, at the beginning of day three of the main event in 2016, and it didn't work out for me. Where if that was my first time playing it, and I was just trying to cash. I would have taken a way more low variance and incorrect line. So I still would have lost a hand, but I still would have been in the tournament. And I probably would have cashed with like five big blinds. But did, I already cashed the year before. Did she call it the hand that she was supposed to? Yeah, we. I mean, it was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the hand. So 50 bigs effective. It's me, the beginning of day three. And um, it's I'm at the table. Um, Maria is two to my left. And I want to say... To to her left is um, I'm gonna forget this guy's name, um, Benjamin something Daniel D David David Benjamin David Benjamin. So there's all these like known TV crushers at the table, and then also some few people that were good that I just didn't know because I look up all my opponents before I get there. I was by far the most inexperienced player at the table, <laughs> so I knew Maria if she looked that stuff up, which I assume she does, that she was gonna come after me. So I already decided. Okay. Um, late position, button versus big blind. Like, she's going to three bet me a lot if I open a button. Like, what's my four betting range? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be getting it in with, you know, I was like, okay, ace jack. Ace jack is like, I got to be, I got to expect this and I can't be scared to, you know, stick it in with, you know, 40 bigs with ace jack offsuit. So that was my plan. Um, action falls around and I have queens. And I was like, okay, this is great. <laughs> like, I know the three, I know the three bets coming. So I open. She three bet me from the big blind. And now I have one a pot of two. So now I'm up to 50 bigs. And I was like, um, I know off of 40, I was willing to, you know, do a lot of jamming. But 50, I think what you're supposed to do there is four bet call. Now the old Carlos, the old Carlos would have been afraid to four bet call. Like, what if she just calls and it comes ace high, and I just have to give up? Like, um, what you know, the old me would have either jammed in that spot. I would either just you know overbet jam, you know, fifty over the three bet, or called her three bet to try to either uh, just end the hand right there or to um, um, play a smaller pot post flop. But I'd already like coached myself up to do the right thing in that spot. So I knew I knew the correct four bet sizing. And of course, she, she she the look on her face was like, oh my God, this guy, this inexperienced player is like four betting as opposed to like jamming. Cause you know when a when a, when a fish jams there, it's like ace king so often. <laughs> yeah, every so time. The, so yeah. The, yeah. So the fact that I four bet, she's like, oh my God, this guy has aces. But then she kind of like reluctantly shoved with ace king and I called and um, she flopped two aces. But 
I was super happy. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is uh, Tournament Poker Edge had a booth in the hall of the Rio that year. So going into the tournament, I'm sitting out in the hall with the guys and we're like, you know, they're giving me a pep talk. It's like, man, you can do this, man. Like, this is your time. And I go in all ex- like, you know, excited. And um, no, I go in kind of nervous. You know, I'm kind of like, not nervous. I'm kind of like in fight mode. I'm like, I'm not smiling. I'm like a boxer before the end of the day. <laughs> and I go in and I come out 15 minutes later with a smile <laughs> on my face. And I'm like, I'm out. And it was like, wait a minute. You're out and you're happy. <laughs> I was like, I'm happy for a couple of reasons. A, I'm proud of myself for playing the hand correctly. B, technically I got sucked out on, so I'll take that. You know, by you know, get sucked out on by a better player. Um, I'm happy with that. And more importantly, one of my um, goals that year was to make day three, which I did, and to not bubble. And technically, I didn't bubble because I busted at the beginning of day three, <laughs> as opposed to the end of day three. And so, for 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 busting the main event, I think everything that could go right to bust the main event went right for me that day. So I was happy. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for playing the way you want to play and performing the way that you want to perform. I I interviewed an Olympic swimmer uh, many years back. And, you know, she was telling me that basically she swam at the Olympics. She ended up getting silver, but basically scored a personal best time better than she had ever done before. And like, she was like pumping, like fist pumping, right. When she saw her time, like on the scoreboard and people thought that like, she thought she won, but she was like, no, Uh like I just set a personal best. Like that's, you know, that's better than I could have hoped to do. And, And so like, you know, celebrating for performing at a high level, especially when there's tons of pressure. I think it's something that like everybody should do, right? Like we should, we should take the good with the bad. Yeah. And in this tournament, I cashed the main event before. And, um, um, this would have been like my first non main event bracelet event cash, but you know, I'd already cashed a more prestigious event. So I wasn't worried about cashing the, the, the bracelet event that I eventually won. The thing I wanted to do was make a, a WSOP final table. I was like, yeah, if I can make the final table, uh, I can use that when I'm, you know, selling uh, products or coaching <laughs> like a WSOP uh, final tableist. So I was like, you know, 12, 12 players out, I was probably making some insane folds <laughs> just to get there. And that's why I came into the final table short. <laughs> I, I got to say, Carlos, I mean, you may be using it to sell your product, but there's no way like the title of this episode is going to be Carlos Welch WSOP final tableist. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the plan until I actually won it. And then like once I got, so, okay. So once I made the final table, I started moving my milestones up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my biggest cash up until that point was 27,000. So you and made I a won. WSOP final table before you won this bracelet? No, when I made this, final table oh you that was Uh, when you change your goals right so immediately immediately after making the final table you know it it wasn't like okay ladder to six because six wouldn't beat wouldn't beat my all-time score so my Mm -hmm. goal at that point was to ladder to like fourth or fifth with it whichever one paid like thirty-five thousand, i think would have been my highest score so that was my goal now once i made that goal that's when i think i started to play well better because like, okay, there's really no other milestone for me to, to make at this point, except for winning. So that's when I said, screw it. And I then started making potentially some bad ICM decisions. And, and uh, I, I went from like potentially too tight and passive to a little bit too loosey-goosey, but it worked out. What's interesting about it, like we alluded to earlier, is like the difference between like fifth and second isn't so much for your business, the business side of it, like the coaching, but the difference between second and first is a pretty damn big deal. So (laughs) you're very incentivized to get first because of all the downstream money that you can make, you know, just now you're a WSOP bracelet winner, right? So like that matters way more than, you know, laddering from like fourth to third or third to second. True, true. You just reminded me of the last thing I'll say on this topic. Uh, one of my other goals coming into this was even if I don't make a final table, even if I don't cash, 
maybe I can get in some updates. And so if they like see my name in a bunch of WSOP updates and I like retweet those, like maybe that also, you know, somebody will see that and say, hey, this guy has been battling with Negreanu. Maybe he is a good coach. Come you know, on. Like, you, know, <laughs> you are like a, you're a co-host on like the Thinking Poker podcast. You, you, you've been around, like people know who know you, right? Like, I, I feel like this is, I mean, I mean, does this really better. move the needle? I mean, I know, I know it more is better, but like, I see Carlos on thinking poker. Like I'm going to think, Hmm, he's, he's, that's a high level dude. Like I see Carlos in like a update on poker news. I'm like, huh, he's playing a tournament. <laughs> true, true. But there's, there's a certain type of poker player who doesn't li- listen to thinking poker, but I say a certain type of, I say a certain type as if this is a, a small number of people. I was, uh, there's some people who don't listen to Thinking Poker who know who Phil Helmuth is, as if that's not like 95% of the poker players. Right. So it's like, I think for some of those guys, me being able to like win a hand against Phil Helmuth may overshadow the 10 episodes I've done on Thinking Poker. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was going after that market. You're, you're probably thinking about it more rationally than me. Like I'm, thinking about it like from the purest perspective of like, you know, you're, you, you probably got looking at it the right way though. Yeah. You're thinking about it from people who are probably, you're thinking about it from the uh, perspective of people who are on my level, who probably wouldn't hire me for coaching anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking about the mediocre poker players, like, you know, old Carlos. Well, I mean, you know, I've got a course called fish in a barrel, right? So like I, I use the F word um, fairly prominently. And the reality is like everybody starts out as a fish, right? Like when you're unstudied, when you don't know much about poker, we all, nobody like just comes out of their mother's womb as a poker savant. We all start at the same point. And so like, you know, there's lower level poker players who are fish, who are beginners that find out about you through, you know, an outlet like poker news and then investigate like that to me makes a lot of sense. And that's, those are the type of people that, you know, I think that you, you're going to do an amazing job, um, as a teacher, breaking things down simply for those lower entry level players. And like, that's, yeah. So again, you're much, you're much smarter at business than me. So <laughs> I, I can teach that guy to be like me, but Phil Galfon can't teach that guy to be like him. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I mean about mediocre poker player. Well, I mean, I, I've talked about it a lot before on this show, but like teaching and playing is are separate skill sets and they both merit growth and energy and thought and reflection. And, and like, there are great poker players like a Phil Galfond. I'm not saying Phil Galfond specifically that are shitty ass teachers and can't teach anybody how to beat a one, two no limit game. Like, right. They're just and different it, skill sets. And even if they are great teachers, if they do have some level of like, you know, um, innate poker talent that can't be taught. Like, you know, Phil, Phil Helmuth can't teach what teach white magic. I don't so. <laughs> I don't, I don't even think he can define white magic. That's the, yeah. Hard to teach something that you can't define. Um, right. I but can yeah, definitely, I can teach, I can definitely teach people how to struggle through the micros, micros for years, and to get it, and to work their way into a position where they can bink a bracelet. You survived preflop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. Comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs, light call-downs, and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. This is a a call-out to kind of all the trainers in the market. I think that like it is within them to teach people, but like I've learned so much about poker in the last year and a half through teaching. 
um, through like basically trying to figure out like what the hell is happening in this game. Like, like I said before, it's kind of like you, you look and see the matrix and just all the ones and zeros and like fundamentally what's happening when I check race here, like what are all the data points? What's everything being considered? Why are we supposed to check race this specific hand in this specific spot? Um, and just really trying to get to the core of what poker is and like what is happening with each decision that gets made and like trying to figure out how to communicate that information to people on like a broad scale. Um, it's difficult to say right. the least. It's, it's way more difficult than learning how to be a winning poker player was for me. Um, but at the end of the day, I am such a better poker player because of it, because like, I feel just total confidence in my understanding of like specific spots and then being able to figure things out because I understand all the variables in play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being a coach definitely makes you a better player as well. Yeah. I mean, it should. And if it's not, you probably need to reflect on how you're coaching people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, tell me about, you know, what, what projects are going on now, now that you've had this whirlwind of interviews, you probably, I don't know if you've even had time to really put a lot of thought into it. Um, the main thing that just jumped out immediately was to do a product based on the the win, the the, the bracelet win. So um, I'm going to work with my partner um, Alexander Fitzgerald to develop that. Um, he and I did the um, how to obliterate passive tournaments. Um, um, I guess such so a catchy we, name. Yeah, 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 yeah. So catchy that I have trouble remembering it <laughs> unless I'm reading it off the screen like I just did. <laughs> um, uh, but so, so that's that. But this one is going to be honest. And I mean, geez, oh, so wow, bad. that's it not branding so there. <laughs> it sounds so bad. All not the other ones the, are dishonest. This not one, that, <laughs> not that the last one wasn't honest. This one is going to be honest about the fact that I was not. I did not consider myself an expert in this field where I do consider my, myself an expert in the passive fields on sites like Ignition. So I'm, I've made some mistakes throughout this tournament and uh, I'm also going to bring in um, better players like Alex, um, get some, um, basically um, several of my friends who are better players and coaches to kind of give me input on the things I did wrong throughout this product. Man, you're so working gonna, it. You're working it from every angle. You're, you're getting coached. You're getting paid. You're selling <laughs> yeah. it. So, so basically what this is going to be is to show people who are like me things that the mistakes I made along the way, this is what you need to look out for. And this is why, because Andrew says it or Alex says it or Ryan says it. And then, oh, these are the things that Carlos did well because those guys said it. And then also at this point, you know, there's, you know, we can check stuff with solvers as well. So this isn't going to be an expert account of do as I say. It's going to be an, a, a um, almost like a peer-to-peer account of like this, like I'm going to put you in the experience. Like not everybody can play these bracelet, the bracelet events. So we're going to put this, I'm hoping we can do this in a way to, where the viewer kind of gets put in the situations that I was in and see how they would um, handle it and then show have my coaches tell them what they should do. How much have you studied business? Because as you're saying this, like I'm thinking like you've got your, you know, quote unquote avatar pretty well fleshed out, right? Like you understand what your market needs and what you think would be helpful and what they would love. So it feels like, you know, you've you've looked into the business side of this a bit or maybe you're just an intuitive business genius um i can't uh, i'm pretty sure i mentioned this like an like how long have we been on <laughs> like 30 minutes ago i think i mentioned that i have a degree in finance yeah um so that's part of it also just being a math guy um, i didn't know business. finance finance i mean i know that finance is within business but i thought it was like accounting um, that's part of it, but of course you take marketing courses and, ah. and, and what else throughout the, the thing. Um, so there's that, but the biggest thing is, um, and the biggest thing is probably one of the biggest non-poker influences on my life was um, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. So that's where I got a lot of my um, business acumen and just being a um, 
a curious person when it comes to that sort of so like when you grow up in poverty um, and you're a halfway intelligent person, you study business. So that's what I've been doing, you know, since I was about 15 years old. Because it's like, it's a way out, right? Like that's the escape. It's a way out. Exactly. It's a way out. Well, man, I think you've, you've made it out. Uh, for now, yeah. anyway, till you start firing the 50Ks, then we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I've definitely made it out. I also heard through the grapevine on how you're planning on, you know, leveraging this money, utilizing it. What's the, what's on the agenda? So two things are on the agenda. One of them have already happened. And that is a chunk of it has been dumped into Bitcoin at the perfect time, <laughs> I might add. Like, I was sweating so hard. Like, can I get this in before the, the, the run-up happens? And we've, like, started to kind of see some of that, but I got in right before that. And then also, uh, I'm going to buy a house. <laughs> for my, it's funny, I'm laughing about this now because I've had conversations uh, with a few family members about this. My plan was to buy a house a big house for, you know, my mom and um, also whatever relatives that just happened to um, need a place to stay at the time. Because as I've grown up, uh, that was always my grandmother's house. That's like where we all go for Thanksgiving. Um, That's where we all meet up every year. And that's where people go when they don't have anywhere else to go. And going back to a previous conversations, you know, we, we talked about how you know, you helped your grandmother out coming up too in the Booker World, paying her electric bill and stuff like that. Yep. I just bought her a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, um, yeah, I was um, going to buy the house for that. And um, after talking to a few family men, oh, here's the thing. I was going to say like, so as my grandmother gets older, eventually um, someone else is going to have to like, you know, become the matriarch of the family. And I was like, you know, so if, you know, I'll have this house for my mom. And then after talking to a few, having a few conversations with family members, like, hell, maybe she don't want to do that. <laughs> like, like oh, yeah. she, That's a good point. Like, 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 she's like, she don't want all these assholes around her either. <laughs> and so, um, uh, but then I thought to myself, you know, if she doesn't want to do that, you know, the house would still be there for everybody who just happens to be there at the time. But I was thinking she's kind of already doing that. So, so. Might just also, ask her. I am. I I just um I'm, I got a flight plan to um go to Vegas, Vegas to go to Atlanta in a couple of days. So I will be there to like you know talk to her and like you know finally get to enjoy this experience with family members because the whole time it's just been like poker people. But the thing is, um, so I'll tell this story. Uh, somebody might get they they tend to get, so there's always someone in the family that ends up getting mad at me about the stuff I say publicly, but um, it is what it is. So <laughs> stop listening to his podcast. If you're <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my uncle lived with my grandmother during, you know, the start of um, COVID and um, uh, he likes to um, drink and he likes to like go in and out and like drink with his friends and obviously that's pretty dangerous. Like, you know, this is like pre-vaccine living with, you know, uh, damn, I hope I don't get this number wrong. I'm going to say 70 to 80 year old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she kicked him out. And so she kicked my uncle out and he went to live with my mom who also, so my, my mom has an apartment, a smaller apartment. And so there's her, there's my big brother, there's my uncle, there's her father, my grandfather, and my cousin. So even if it turns out she doesn't want to do this, I'm kind of right in assuming it because she's kind of already doing it, <laughs> you know. And so, but if she, she, she always jokes with, um, with my grandfather that, you know, she's going to kick everybody out and move to Vegas. So if she actually decides to do that, um, 
then you know the house would be there for for another family member to be the matriarch. And I keep saying matriarch because I can't think of one other person beside <laughs> me that would be the patriarch. <laughs> like like yeah, the the women are definitely the the responsible members of my family for sure. So somebody, if it's not my mom or be one of my aunts or somebody, somebody will you know be the person in that house telling people to turn off the lights when they leave. Well, I mean- <laughs> I mean, you're a traveling gambler that lives out of his car, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't I can't be the one dealing with everybody's bullshit because um, if, if it was me, I would have kicked everybody out a long time ago. So because these women have a heart of gold and they're, you know, taking care of all these uh, guys, um, at least I can finance it. Awesome, man. That's That's really, really cool. Congratulations, I'm sure. I'm sure that, you know, somebody will be happy in the long run uh, for a free house. Why it's a not? free house, right? Like so, somebody's got to be happy. About it. Like, yeah. The fucked up part is like, they know you don't want it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, man, you know, it's, yeah, I, I guess anything that you're working on, like you, you mentioned the course that you're going to be building out with Assassin Auto and that gang. Uh, I assume it'll have some sort of sexy name um, at some point and we'll be able to put that on the website and direct people to it. Uh, depending on when this episode drops, you know, you can hit me, hit me up on Twitter and just tell me what name you're thinking about it with the link and I can, I can put it up there for you. You, you want a bracelet, dude. Like how, how did it feel? Like, you know, we didn't, we didn't, you're, you're gunning for like fifth when you get the final table. <laughs> So, like, how did it feel to, like, take this sucker down? Not as good as you thought. Not as, you, as you would think. And, and, the, and the reason for that, I mean, it felt good to win the bracelet. Um, the money didn't feel as, feel as good as you would think because I don't want much. So I pretty much already was financially successful for everything. I can remember being dead broke and winning that tournament a couple of years ago for 27000 that felt way better than winning 125,000, just relatively where I was in, uh, in my life at the time. So when I won the 27,000, I cried. I cried like a baby. This time it was almost like, oh, I won a tournament. I smiled. I jumped up and down a couple of times <laughs> when I won the bracelet, but it wasn't like it didn't feel as good as that 27,000. Not saying it felt bad, obviously, but um. I think when people ask me that question, how did it feel? They're expecting the type of answer that I would have given you back when I won that 27,000. But this felt like another day at the office that just happened to be a really good day at the office. And if I was um, more, if I wasn't super tired at the time, I could have factored in the fact that, you know, actually winning the bracelet is going to help with so many business things down the road. Then I probably, it probably would have felt better because of that. One could make the argument that a mediocre poker player wouldn't really call that a normal day at the office, but you know, I don't want to screw up your branding, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is the next, so I, I didn't play the next day because I stayed up for 32 hours straight, you know, responding to congratulation messages from everybody and recording an emergency podcast with uh, Andrew. When I finally slept, I woke up the next day and I played the next event and I got 31st in that one. And then recently, I think a couple of days ago, I got 13th in another one. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, what the hell is going on? Now I'm like, like, what the hell is going on? Like how, you know, uh, is, you know, mediocre Carlos continue to run deep in these things. And I can tell you um, it's the work that I put in over the past couple of months, because obviously um, I'm experienced battling with the soft, the um, weaker players in the field, but I've also been in some some pots with you know pokers who's who, and I've been able to hold my own. And you know I got to give a shout out to the um, all the people who are doing the GTO stuff, the uh, Play Optimal Poker Two by Andrew. Um, GTO Check is a program that I use that um, is kind of like a, a solver based thing, DTO Poker. Like those things have prepared me to like, you know, battle with the beasts. I, f- I feel like you're, you're giving an acceptance speech right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of these days, you know, you're going to have to like bite the bullet and, you know, 
look at yourself in the mirror and realize, oh, like there's an exceptional poker player kind of staring back at me here. Here's, here's, here's when that day is going to happen. The day I register a bracelet event and expect to final table it. That's when I'm going to A, see myself as among those great players and B, actually play, you know, live bracelet events. But at this point, I have no intention of playing the main event or, you know, like when October comes, that's going to be my vacation to rail all my friends. And I'll let them battle with these guys I've been battling with online because uh, live, I still feel probably like, you know, a fish out of water. Well, keep the chip on your shoulder. And, you know, I've learned in life that, kind of the last person to ever believe in ourself is typically ourself. And when we try, when we say that, like, we're trying to prove something to everybody, we don't really mean everybody. What we really mean is ourselves. Um, because like most everybody, especially like people like you, most everybody believes in you. I think at this point, even though you have like the worst online screen name of all time, <laughs> um, very uncreative Carlos, Carlos Welch, Welch. <laughs> I can't believe they even put that in there. Like, <laughs> when I, that's another marketing thing though. When I sign up for WSOP.com, I wanted people to know that this is me. And so if I happen to do like I, like, and then I might win a bracelet. I might win a hundred thousand dollars and do, you know, interviews and talking about buying a house for my mom. And I don't want my mom to see Carlos, uh, you know, uh, one of these like sexual innuendo <laughs> these guys. <laughs> so it's, it's Carlos, man. It's Carlos Welch and poker news. You guys can drop the nickname part out and just put the regular Carlos. Welch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely didn't want a standard poker screen name on WSOP.com. Yeah, for what it's worth, I made an account on Global and I'm chasing poker greatness podcast on. <laughs> That's my global yeah. screen name. I don't even know how they let me have that many characters, but <laughs> but that's smart though. At least you're not like toe fungus or hey, something man. like that. <laughs> people ask me. Like people like I, I play like once every two months just so they don't take away my sweeps coins. Um, I play like a, an orbit and people will ask me about the podcast. So it works. Like it, it reminds <laughs> people that you're a thing, right? Yes. Yes. Oh man. It, it's been great having you. Um, I think we'll, we'll shut it down here. Got a couple things to talk about off air. Um, sorry, listener. You don't, don't get to hear all of the conversation between Carlos and I, but um, anywhere you want to point the listener, to learn more about you, to possibly invest in coaching with Carlos, Carlos Welch, Welch. <laughs> yes. So uh, you can primarily find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash hip hop 101 trivia. <laughs> you know, you can change uh, your, your Twitter handle too, right? <laughs> I'm going I'm to have to change that. Now. I didn't know, man. I didn't know how this fucking thing was going to work out. <laughs> so, uh, probably end up changing my tr- Twitter handle eventually, or I might start my hip hop trivia back up. Right, there you um, go. That's the, the main place to find me. Um, also, um, there's multiple um, links that I'm sure we can put in the show notes about uh, my products, um, how to obliterate passive tournaments and exploiting small stakes tournaments where I coach my coach, Andrew Brokers on how to exploit small stakes tournaments and also Thinking Poker Daily, which is a daily podcast, Monday through Friday, hosted by myself, Andrew, and um, Nate Mavis on um, Patreon, where we only do strategy hands submitted by the subscribers. Awesome, man. And uh, I think that like, if the measure of a poker coach is in caring and passion, then you can't go very wrong with investing into Carlos because... Yeah, Carlos full of passion and I know that the dude cares and like that's why I send people your way because that's the number one thing that matters to me. Players need a coach that genuinely cares about their success or failure. Yes, that's how I got this far because my coaches care about me. And one of my coaches, um Ryan LaPlante has his training site Learn Pro Poker and he does a weekly group coaching session on that site and you'll see me in there every week as well. So Twitter, Thinking Poker Daily, and Learn Pro Poker. Those are the places where you're going to find me, you know, most days. Man, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again in the near future. 
Thank you very much for your time and your energy, man. I'm always grateful. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.